Hello, everyone. Welcome to Quantum Catechesis. I'm Father Joe Krupp, and you are not. And today is not Monday. It's Wednesday, 1521. I almost said 1521 because I just typed that date, 1522. 2022, and at some point in June. And I know this, in a month, I'll be going on vacation. <laughs> today in our studio audience is one of my favorite humans on earth, Nisa. Uh, Nisa and her husband, Ron, who is going to be a deacon in our diocese, uh, are great friends of mine from Hudson. Uh, Nisa helped take care of mom when she was dying, and they both took care of me when I was living, shortly before I became a vampire. But anyway, she's here in the studio audience today, and I'm fired up about that, and we had tacos. We had some of the leftover pork from the festival, and we made tacos. It was lovely, I swear. Uh, and so we've had a great morning, busy morning, but a happy morning. And today, 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 we have a very interesting topic about which I don't know a ton, but I think I can help us with the basics, okay? Uh, but before we do that, I have some crazy news, and this is courtesy of Ed, right? You said Ed provided us with some stats? Oh, yes. Okay. So today, oh, June 22nd. It's June 20, oh, you were saying 22nd, not 2022, but is it 2022? It's all of that. Yep. Okay, so it's 6 2022 Yes, it is. All right, or 2-2, as we say when I was a professional ballerina, although I'm a big fella, I had to wear a 3-3. No? Really? Yeah, I, it's the best I can do. I have a belly full of pork. So where did my goat go? Does anyone know? Because um, it would have been a good time. Is it on the floor? Nope, that's Disco Jesus. Yeah. Oh, never mind. Oh, that's right. I don't want to bother you. Oh, shoot. So why am I? Why are we talking about my goat? Oh, because I said three three. Because I'm a fat baller. So there we go. So uh, here's what we found out. This today, 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 and an event which will be heralded by the church for generations to come is the first anniversary of Joe and Black being a podcast, right? Uh, we were, what do you call it, before that? A year ago today, we released our first podcast. We'd been broadcasting on YouTube and <laughs> Facebook. That's how you say it in Hebrew. Uh, but we released a podcast, and we have had over 70,000 downloads since then. Uh, we had 11,000 downloads just in the last 30 days. So uh, thank you. Uh, that's making me millions, and I'm going to retire. No, we don't make any money. Do we? Do we make any money? No. Uh <laughs> Well, that's what people always about the beer. They're like, wow, you know, I bet you're doing great with the beer. I'm like, I don't make a cent. And I'm bitter. But uh, anyway, that's a lot. And thank you. Thank you for sharing the word with people and spreading it around. Uh, I like to think of my show like a virus. I don't want to kill the host. I just want to make you a little sick. Um, but seriously, thank you for all your support and for sharing word about this and getting word out and please continue to do so. Um, and, uh, my goal, I just thought of this. Wouldn't it be funny if we got a sponsor, but it was like Heinz ketchup and I don't know why, but that stuck in my head. It would be like, I could find a way 
to... I think it would be awesome. Like Heinz ketchup. Yeah. Right, because who's their competition? Well, That's the thing. French fries every day so I, mean, advertise I do love French fries. I don't think anybody could make something political out of ketchup. So oh, they'd find a way. Yeah. yeah. Do you remember when I put the post up about the gale watering her flowers in the rain? Did you see that? It turned into people debating mental health <laughs> and whether I was making fun of a mental health problem. I'm like, we are all nuts. Yeah. Yeah. So who knows? I would, although, you know, anyway, for some reason the other day, all of a sudden I started giggling with the thought of brought to you by Heinz ketchup. Like, what do you, cause I won't put ketchup on hot dogs because I'm a civilized human being. <laughs> well, I'm a human being. Well, I'm a being. So there we are again, all of my thanks guys. I can't believe you enjoy this. I love doing it and I'm happy that you find it helpful. Um, or that you are listening out of charity. I'm also happy for that. Ah! It's the screaming good. So uh, today, what we're going to talk about is our two, we have two martyrs today, right? Carrie and Chuck. No, they're martyrs every day. <laughs> they work with me. Uh, no, today we're going to talk about uh, St. John Fisher and St. Thomas More, uh, two saints from the 16th century uh, during the English Reformation, uh, or as we call it, the collapse of the Catholic Church in England. Um, and we're going to take a look at that. I do want to give you a little heads up. First of all, um, a lot of my information came from, on the saints, came from saints and angels uh, and the Catholic Encyclopedia. My timeline for Henry VIII came from a couple sources. One of them, it was all things, was Wikipedia. Had a great article uh, on this. So it's not a time in history of which I am incredibly familiar. European history doesn't really, I don't know, it's not my bag. Uh, but be this as it may, I think what'll help is I'm gonna give you a historical overview of what was going on uh, during this time and then we'll look particularly at St. Thomas More. Uh, so with the, isn't there a movie? I remember seeing a movie when I was a kid. It's old and it's very good uh, about Sir Thomas More. Um, and it was called Johnson Smith the second, third. Um, and a guy, the hero dies at the end, so they didn't make a sequel. A Man for All Seasons. My kung fu is strong. Thank you, Carrie. Carrie uh, is not my lovely research assistant. Chuck's supposed to be. Carrie's just better at it. Is that out loud? Orson Welles and Robert Shaw. Yeah. Nice. Oh, it's a fine. Have you seen it? No. Oh, I highly recommend it. Many years before I was born. Oh, me too. But I'm telling you, sis. Wait. I'm older than you. You are. I will never get that in my head. Just because you like adult. And I don't adult. What's that? So I highly recommend you all see the movie A Man for All Seasons. Uh, it was made in 1364. 1966. 1966. And 1988. And 1980 what? 1988. What about 88? Oh, it probably sucked. Charlton Heston. Charlton Heston. <laughs> the last word St. Thomas More said in Charlton Heston's one is from my cold dead hands. Do you remember that? 
Okay, so, damn dirty ape. He'll say something about it. Wouldn't that be funny if seriously they're about to execute St. Thomas More and Charlton Heston playing him says, damn dirty apes. And it's like, no, wrong movie, Chuck. Okay, guys, I'm out of control today. This is me overcompensating for fatigue. Much for just chef. Yeah. Um, rough night at the rectory last night. Dad was drinking again. No, it was just hot. Hot, 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 and I'm fat. Having a little air conditioning issue. Yeah, we don't have air conditioning. We may have to take up an extra collection. Yeah, we. In fact, let's just take up an extra collection. <laughs> and if it's whatever goes over the cost of fixing the air conditioning, I keep for stuff. You go for future air conditioning. For future air conditioning issues. <laughs> But uh, so we're working on, we hope to get the air conditioner fixed today or not really an air conditioner. What do you call it? A compressor. A compressor. Um, so anyway, I should probably start. I am out of control today. Okay. Now, for all this to make sense, we got to start with King Henry VIII uh, and a couple key things about him. First, he's dead. I didn't even know he was sick. Uh, but King Henry VIII was crowned king on June 24th. Isn't it that, what is this date? 22nd. We are close. In 1509, okay? So in 1509, Henry VIII is crowned king of Rome, <laughs> king of England. And uh, Henry wants right away what every king at this age wants, namely a boy, right? Sorry, ladies, you don't count. I'm just kidding. Uh, no, he, he wanted a son. He wanted a male heir. Now, I read a couple different things that said this can be a bit overplayed, that the central issue was Henry was not great at fidelity. Okay. Uh, but be this as it may, uh, on the 18th of February, 1516, Catherine of Aragon, his bride, gave birth to Mary, who later became queen. But it's a chick. This isn't a boy. He wants a boy. In 1521, Luther had been going over there in Germany, right? In fact, I think he was excommunicated in 1521. And so for the first time, the church really had to deal with a kind of internal re ideological revolt uh, on a mass scale that suddenly um, there was a break on serious theological issues and this hadn't happened in hundreds of years. This was not a political fight. This was a religious fight. Henry, for his part, wrote a document defending the church and the sacraments. I believe that's what he wrote it about. Uh, and in 1521, the Pope gave him title, quote, the defender of the faith. Uh, because of his strong support for Catholic theology. Uh, he was not an incompetent theologian. Henry VIII was a pretty learned guy, and his theology was pretty solid. Uh, in 1525, he met Anne Boleyn. And uh, in 1527, he wanted his annulment, an annulment for his marriage to Catherine. Okay? So this is key. He met Anne. Hi, Anne. Hey, child. What was his name? Henry. I wonder if she called him Hank. Yes! Hank VIII. Doesn't have the ring, does it? No. Um, what were we talking about? Oh, Anne Boleyn. Anne Boleyn and Henry meet, and Henry decides, I like her better. Um, not the greatest at covenants. He seeks an annulment. Now, this guy, again, is pretty educated, and you're going to see, this is going to play into this a lot. He knows Catholic theology. He 
went to the Pope directly to get his marriage to Catherine annulled. Here's the problem. You remember when we did the whole thing on the Swiss Guard's noble last stand? Um, well, that was under, huh? Yeah, you with me? Yeah. Oh, that was when King Charles V, he had a stranglehold on the papacy, right? Uh, and guess what? The guy who had total control of the Pope, Charles V, was Catherine's nephew. Yeah, that annulment ain't coming, bro, right? That annulment is not coming. Um, so this is, again, where you get into this whole issue of, is this why Henry broke from the church? Um, there's a guy named Woodward who said this way, Henry's determination to annul his marriage with Catherine was the occasion, not the cause of the English Reformation. That he then said, you don't want to put too much on it, and you don't want to put too little on it. It's sort of like Heinz ketchup, a delectable delight for the whole family. How was that? I'm practicing. I was also thinking, does STP still exist? Oil? Yeah. Because you know what I was thinking of? When I was a kid, the first Johnny Cash thing I remember is his commercial. And for my car, it's STP. Right? And so when I heard him do, uh, what's the real song he did for his wife? And do, 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 right? Walk the line. Remember? So he took the song Walk the Line, and then he made an STP commercial. But I heard the STP commercial first. And so when I much later heard Walk the Line, I'm like, oh, wow, he used his STP song. That's a true story. What does STP stand for? Standard something petroleum. Science, technology, performance. It stands for science, technology, and performance. I know that. I didn't know that. Maybe they still do something. Yeah. So. Something you see heavily marketed. No, no. Yeah, I mean, because now we just buy whatever's cheap when it comes to oil and gas, and nothing's cheap. They have no money. Yeah, I'm now using Carrie's credit card to fill up my tank. Don't doubt. Do you know? Do you remember? Okay, stop. All right, I'm gonna say it. So when I moved to Hudson, do you remember, cause Nisa lives in Hudson, I had that blue truck that I loved so deeply. And I had to sell it because I quite literally couldn't afford gas. Gas got to four something a gallon. Do you remember this? This was 2012, 2013. And I sold that girl and I loved her. I loved her with my whole, like of all the trucks I've owned and I've owned like 12, that was my fave. And Two things happened. I bought my first car, not truck, car. And gas dropped down to two something a gallon, two weeks later. But yeah. not only that, the car didn't last because I had two or three parishes at that point. I don't remember if I was covering St. Anthony's. What I do know is every time I drove to St. Mary on the Lake, I'd get stuck. And and if I was late for one mass, I'd be late for the next three. Remember how close I would cut it? I'd run out of mass and I'm running back and forth and they didn't plow our roads. We were the last to get plowed. And so I kept getting stuck. And I don't mean a little stuck, but like at one point, and it was right after I blew out my knee, I was stuck trying to get to mass, pushing my car <laughs> with a blown out knee on crutches. And I was like, all right. So then I went back to a truck and... I don't know why we're telling this story. Why are we telling this? Oh, there we go. An expensive gas. So now I get a truck 
same color. That's blue. I got it, what, six months ago? Is that right, Pa? And now gas is $93 billion a gallon. Thank you. So anyway, huh? Scientifically treated petroleum. Scientifically, I got the petroleum right. So anyway, sorry guys, let's focus, huh? Would you guys quit screwing on? I'm trying to pray. Henry VIII, uh, in the end, wanted his marriage to Catherine annulled. It's not going to happen because the woman he wants his marriage annulled, her uncle is in stranglehold control of the papacy. He's basically wiped out the Swiss guard, uh, and he's got the pope on little puppet strings. So Henry VIII, in the end, leaves the church. One guy, a historian named Pollard, he put it this way, quote, even if Henry had not needed an annulment, he might have come to reject papal control over the government of England purely for political reasons. So this goes back to what got Charles to invade the Vatican, okay? <laughs> Namely, the Pope had tremendous power in the eyes of the people. And you might think, well, if you're a king, what do you care? You're in charge. Well, kings had an interesting problem. They had a blessing. They had total, absolute, dictatorial control. But they also had a problem. People became comfortable at this point killing kings if they were terribly unjust. It wasn't common, but it wasn't unheard of. And if you got them that mad, they didn't chop your head off. They tore you to pieces. Okay. So kings had a vested interest in keeping their people moderately happy. I don't mean American happy, uh, you know, cell phones for everyone. I mean more like you can eat and we won't take your kids. You know, so it was this kind of uneasy piece. But it also meant if the pope said, well, and he did it, uh, if you guys don't stop doing this to the king, then no one in your country can receive communion. That meant something to Catholics. Uh, so what, what this guy's pointing out is this fight was coming. And it was going to come everywhere not named Germany, right? The Germans are just going to follow the Pope uh, until a guy named Luther. Um, yeah, oops. Let me just say this about that. Oops. And you had another issue. Now, for my Protestant brothers and sisters, I'm going to ask you to hear me out because it might sound really awful what I'm going to say at first. The Bible at this point, people were not encouraged to read it. People were encouraged to hear it, read, and explained by people who studied it. Why? Because of what happens today, right? People read the Bible with no understanding of Greek, no understanding of Roman, Hebrew, or Greek culture, and they read them as a 21st century American would, and that's where you get in trouble. Okay. The church understood this problem. So I had a buddy who, you know, would always say, oh, the, the church forbade people from reading the Bible. That's not technically true. The church encouraged people, do not read the Bible unless there's someone there to explain it. Well, this was the point where the Bible is starting to be produced. Luther translated it from Latin to German. And now people are starting to read the Bible. And what happens? Well, 68,000 denominations sprung forth. Why? Well, look, the Bible says this. Why, why aren't we doing it? Well, because there's a historical context to that. But they don't know it. So is this making sense? Yeah. So all these breaks were destined to come as soon as people started reading the Bible outside of its historical educational context. And it was destined to happen in light of all the political fights to come that 
people, uh, kings, felt the need to curtail the power of the church. Okay. Uh, the most recent example of this truly is Mexico. I think I did a whole thing on uh, Cristero's War. Yes. Um, and I can't encourage you enough to, if we can find that show, we should re-put it up. This happens in every country. In the U.S., it's happening in an interesting way. Uh, but in most countries, it's just incredibly violent. And it gets violent in England. Uh, but at some point, the authorities decide the church has too much power and then begin to crush it. Okay, The church doesn't have an army. How are we doing? Yeah. yeah? Okay. So uh, either way, Henry needed a boy to secure uh, the Tudor dynasty and to avert any kind of civil war succession disputes. Okay. So that's what led to the break. And then in 1533, Henry's marriage to Catherine of Aragon was annulled, not by the Catholic Church, uh, and he married Anne Boleyn. Now, between 1532 and 1537, Henry instituted a number of statutes that dealt with the relationship between the king and the pope and the structure of this new church he just created in England. And what you want to remember is Henry was smart, okay? Here's, here's how it goes. Let's say Bishop Earl here in Lansing, and he would never do this, okay? But let's say he announces we are breaking from the Church of Rome, and so then let's say 10 priests follow him. What you've got there is those 10 priests and that bishop can still pray mass and pray it right. And we say everything that's supposed to happen happens. We would say those sacraments are valid, but illicit. Meaning what? They work, but they're illegal. I can't exercise my priesthood without the permission of Bishop Earl. Bishop Earl should not exercise his episcopacy without the authority of the Pope. How are we doing? Yeah. Okay. So the sacraments would work, but they would be illegal. Why? Because we're no longer under proper authority. Here's where Bishop Earl's church would die when the last priest did. Why? Well, because he can't make any more priests. Hey, you with me? Yeah. Henry got it. And what did he know? Well, you need three bishops to make a bishop. So Henry made a bunch of bishops, right? He had bishops make bishops. Because as long as you have that, you have what we call legitimate apostolic succession. So you have <clears throat> this idea of Henry got, we need priests. How do you get priests? Bishops. How do you get bishops? You need three bishops to make one bishop. I need at least three bishops. And then they'll make a crap ton of bishops. And then the sacraments are valid. Henry cared about this. He wanted the Eucharist. Okay. Isn't this fascinating? Do you, is this all making sense? Okay. Um, but he also, beyond that, he had some political moves to do because he needed to get Rome out of the English psyche. Uh, and uh, again, forgive me for any errors in phraseology I'm using. This just isn't a time of history I know a ton about. Um, so what were some of the things he did? This statute of restraint of appeals. Okay, uh, This extended the charge against all who introduced papal bulls into England. So if you took a letter from the Pope or a writing from the Pope and said to the people of England, Pope says Henry VIII's full of crap, or the Pope says Henry VIII can't do this, you are, uh, if you are found guilty of that, you're executed. 
Okay. In, uh, on September 7th, 1533, Anne Boleyn did give birth to a girl, right? Because God's kind of funny that way. Uh, Elizabeth, who later became queen and is still queen at 500 years old. No, that's not true. Then came the act of succession in 1533. Quote, all adults in the kingdom, I'm not quoting Henry VIII, all adults in the kingdom are required to acknowledge all the act's provisions, namely declaring marriage to Anne legitimate and his marriage to Catherine illegitimate. So everybody in England's got to say, yes, Henry VIII, you should have got that annulment. We're glad you did. This is a great marriage to your side chick. <laughs> Those who refused were subject to imprisonment for life. Any publisher or printer of any literature alleging the marriage of Anne was invalid were subject to the death penalty. Okay? Uh, so, although Henry's not serious about his marriages, you have to be. Yeah? Um, then came the supplication against the ordinaries and the submission of the clergy. What is that? Well, think of it this way. When they say the ordinaries, that's the word for bishops, okay? That's what they called the bishops, the ordinaries, and the submission of the clergy. Basically, what this is, is the bishops and priests all had to sign a letter and take an oath before God, uh, recognizing the supremacy of the Church of England, okay? The King of England has supremacy over the Church, not the Pope. We doing good so far? All right. And then the Ecclesial Appointments Act of 1534 required the clergy to elect bishops nominated by the king. So the king picks. Do you want Nisa, Dad, or Chuck as bishop? And then you can pick which one's going to be bishop, not the pope. It's not how it works, right? In the church, the pope picks. My mint is stuck to my tooth. Would you guys like to hear about it? We just did. Okay. Uh, <laughs> the Act of Supremacy in 1534 declared that the king was, quote, the only supreme head on earth of the Church of England. And then also in 1534, the Treason Act, which you know just sounds wonderful already, made it high treason punishable by death to refuse the oath of supremacy, acknowledging the king as head of the church. So... Henry is defining his power and defining the penalties for messing with his power. My mint is stuck to my tooth and I can't unstick it. Would you like to hear all about it? No? Finally, the Peters-Pence Act was passed and it reiterated that England, quote, had no superior under God, but only the king. Um, and that Henry's, quote, imperial crown had been diminished by, quote, the unreasonable and uncharitable usurpations and exactions of the Pope. So Henry's making his case by law to the people. The Pope is unreasonable. The Pope is uncharitable. And he's trying to take my power from me. So now I am head of the Church of England. We have legitimate apostolic succession. We have legitimate uh, Eucharist. Um... We got a new church, okay? But Henry would tell you, it's not a new church. It's a part of the church. And I've read different things that said Henry never had any intention of this lasting, but I don't know. I have no idea. Oh, we have a question? Okay, great. Hold on. 
Uh, I got to scroll way up. Stick with me. From Richard. Oh, Richard. Hey, great. These guys can help. Henry VIII was also highly supportive, was also a hugely supportive king toward the papacy for most of his reign. Right. Uh, like I said, with the defender of the faith title. That's not a title the church gave lightly. Yeah, still use it. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. That's why the non-annulment was taken so personally by him. Uh, the Pope had awarded him the title uh, defender of the faith. The queen still uses this, and we have it on our British coins. How cool is that? Yeah, Richard, any help you can offer here? As I said, this is a weaker, uh, as you can hear, I'm just giving bare bones stuff because it's just not something I know terribly well. Um, and uh, I do know this, like when, remember when Reem Schneider came over and he brought all his uh, Anglican prayer books and they were such gorgeous prayers. They never went through that weird thing we did uh, well, anyway, let it go. So, um, okay, where are we now? <laughs> Give me a second, guys. Okay, so with that, I'd like to um, get into Sir Thomas More, okay? Because uh, he's the guy we're going to focus on today. I just needed you to have a historical context. What you thinking? No, go for it. I was just, how does that reflect today, like on their sacraments and stuff? Of oh, so the church, okay, for us, so Carrie's question is, how does that reflect on today? If an Anglican priest confects the Eucharist, does the church say that's the body and blood of Christ? Usually not. I'll tell you why. Um, the church says, and has taught this since the second century, well, third century, for a sacrament to work, you need proper form and proper matter. Some Anglican churches, and I don't know what percentage, I'm very ignorant, have abandoned both. What does that mean? Proper form and matter would be a male with unleavened bread and wine. Okay? And I'm hyper-simplifying here. But when you put a woman or uh, something that's not unleavened bread or something that's not wine, say, no, that's not a sacrament. You need the matter and the form. Some might have a male praying with unleavened bread and wine, but not praying the proper, what we would call the proper words, the proper form. Uh, they might be freewheeling it a bit. Um, and so that would mean no. Now, if you find, and it's been found, I'm told, at Sacred Heart, we met a priest who was an Anglican priest who became Roman Catholic. And he shared this crazy, beautiful story about when he decided to convert to Roman Catholicism. He found that the bishop who ordained him had been ordained by a bishop, by a bishop, but he had what we would say legitimate apostolic succession. So the church told him in a sense, I'm hyper simplifying here, you're already a priest. You're just an illegal priest. Yeah. So we'll take care of the legal part. But you have legitimate apostolic succession. So he said when he was ordained, before every prayer, they said something to indicate this prayer is conditional. Namely, if you are validly ordained, we don't mean this prayer. If you aren't validly ordained, we mean this prayer. Does that make sense? It's kind of a humble way of approaching it. Hopefully it's rare when the church is humble, but we'll take it uh, to say it might have worked. Does that help? Great. Um, so with that, let's dive into Thomas More, okay? <laughs> Thomas More was born in London, London, 
London. How do you say London? I don't know. However you people say it. Um, February 7th, 1478. He's very old. His father, Sir John Moore, was a lawyer and a judge, and he rose to prominence under the reign of Edward IV. Um, he had connections and he had power, which really helped his son, Thomas. Uh, Thomas's mother uh, was the first wife of John. Uh, John had four wives during his lifetime, um, but they each died, leaving him a widower. Thomas had two brothers and three sisters, uh, but three of his sisters died very shortly after birth. Now, you might think, good Lord, that poor family, and rightly so, but to be clear, that's normal, right? Most people died back then. More people died before 60 than before 50 than Denton. Uh, most children did not make it to teenage years. Um, this is where you get a lot of this phenomenon with men with multiple marriages but no annulments uh, because their wife died. And it wasn't considered seemly for a man to try to raise children without a wife. Is seemly a good word? It wasn't considered, it would have been a cause for question. Okay. So um, it's likely uh, that from a young age, uh, his, again, his dad's connections and his dad's money helped him. And he really rose to prominence fairly quickly. Uh, he became a household page to the Archbishop of Canterbury. Um, and the Archbishop of Canterbury, I don't know if you know this, um, became famous for making little chocolate eggs. I'm just kidding. Was that funny at all? Yeah. Okay. Um, so... <laughs> Sorry. Archbishop Morton was a Renaissance dude and really made sure Thomas got a quality education. Um, he entered Oxford in 1492 when Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Right? Wasn't that when Columbus did it? Okay. Uh, he learned Latin, Greek, jive, and... Okay, he did not learn jive. I'm going to be totally honest. I made that part up. Wouldn't it be cool, though, if you learned? How would people with a British accent speak jive? It would sound terrible. What? Okay. Uh, he left Oxford in 1494, just two years later, to become a lawyer. And he trained in London. Uh, and then in 1502, he was approved to serve as a lawyer. Um, so almost as soon as he became a lawyer, he started thinking about it. Maybe this isn't the way to go. Maybe this isn't the life I want. And he lived at this point next to a Carthusian monastery. So if you're like, who are the Carthusians? Take the hardest. Can I? No. I, can I say hard ass? Like, I don't know. Okay. I don't know what word to use. Just tough. Sleep on the floor. No meat. Just vegetables. And, 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 and like these guys live hard. Okay, and they pray hard. Um, I think there's like six of them left in the world. Um, and they blew him away. Uh, he loved their simple piety, their simple life. He would join them in their prayer times and in their work. Uh, now, that lasted about two years or so. And while the fire never went away, he realized, no, I'm not called to be a monk. I am called to live in the world, to take this beautiful spirituality out into the world. And so he uh, tried to get elected to parliament. Um, and I think this is what's unclear to me. I think he did, but I'm not sure. 
okay? All I read was he stood for parliament, and I can't tell what that means. I think it means he got in, but who knows? I sat for parliament because it was long. He married his first wife, Jane Colt, who, uh, whose father invented the Colt. Okay, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't make the gun, but they did make the beer. Uh, he married his first wife, Jane Colt, in 1505, and they had four kids until her very untimely death in 1511. Um, they loved music and literature. Like, apparently this was an awesome marriage, which, again, was kind of rare back then. And you might think, well, that was everybody's goal. Not really. Marriages were utterly practical. The goal was to make more of you. The goal was to have some kind of union that helps you both financially. Uh, love was okay, yeah, but it wasn't something people equated with marriage. Um, it was nice if you had it. Yeah, I guess that's a good way to put it. Well, this was apparently a great marriage. After his death, he like waited a week out of respect and married again. And you might think, what the hey? No, this was what you did. Uh, he married a wealthy widow named Alice. Um, and she wasn't the sweetest woman in the world. Like I love everything I read said she did not possess a gentle. Oh, what is the word? Gentle temperament so she was all like what um nobody wanted him to marry this gal but she was wealthy she was widow it was an appropriate marriage so we did it um his friends were not happy with him for marrying her but his whole thing uh was that he he believed she could help him raise these kids that was his duty he believed um, they had no kids together, and he accepted her daughter, Alice, as his own. Okay, so now he's got five. Um, he was considered a really good dad. He wrote his kids a lot of letters when he was away. He insisted, now get this, he insisted, and this was wild back then, that his daughters have as good an education as his sons. That was super rare um, and would have been considered a bit shocking. Here I did that. Um, but they became known for their sharp intellect. He was elected to Parliament in 1504, um, and then in 1510, he represented London in the Parliament. During his service, he got a reputation for being honest and a hard worker and good at what he did. <clears throat> he became a privy councillor in 1514, which I think is a guy who tells you when you should go to the bathroom. Did anyone find laughing. that funny? I mean, really, it makes sense. A privy counselor. Should I go to the bathroom? Do you need to? Yes, you should then. Well, thank you, privy counselor. I'll use the privy. No? Okay. Uh, he was known uh, for his great uh, writings, for being a fine theologian. He wrote a book called Utopia about a fictional idealistic island society. Um, all kinds of stuff. Really clever um, and very, very funny in a backhanded kind of way, right? Satire was his gift. Um, people still read it today, apparently. Um, from 1517 on, Henry VIII took a liking to Thomas More. And just as a heads up, that doesn't last. Um, and he kept moving him up the food chain. He kept moving higher and higher up the food chain. And in 1521, he was knighted 
and made the under-treasurer of the exchequer. I don't know how to say that word, but it's when you cancel a check. Well, I'm doing this a lot today. Has everybody left? No. Okay, I was worried about the privy counselor, but I just can't get over the idea. Being a privy counselor, I counsel. Now I have. To, uh, should I go to the bathroom? Do you need to? No. Okay, then I'm going to advise you to not. I am the privy counselor. Um, the king's trust in him grew, and uh, he was made uh, chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster, and it gave him authority over the whole northern portion of England on King Henry's behalf. Uh, he was great at this job, known for being uh, fast and precise, uh, and he was fiercely loyal to the king, fiercely loyal to him. Um, he prosecuted, more did, those accused of heresy and he worked hard to defend the Catholic faith in England. This was all part of your secular job back then, right? It wasn't just making sure people's bushes are green in front of their church. Was that out loud? That's our city council. Was that out loud? No, your work as a secular servant involved religious things because religion and faith and political life were intertwined for better or worse. Right. Um, it was a tough job, but he defended the faith. And uh, in 1530, it all took a little bit of a turn. Uh, Henry wanted that annulment for his wife, Catherine, and more refused to sign the letter to the pope asking for the annulment. Um, Henry was ticked, but he ruled with it. OK. Uh, but then. Henry, depending on who you read, Henry kind of started to, to screw with him, okay? Uh, to, to test him maybe is the most, what do you say? The happiest interpretations of the data is he's trying to get Thomas More to see, you need me, okay? You need me. And Thomas More is trying to get him to see, I guess I do, but I'm going to try to do what's right every time. Uh, Henry purged the clergy of anyone who supported the Pope. And as it became clear that he was about to break with Rome, uh, Thomas More had, he, he just, I can't do it. In 1532, uh, he um, resigned, offered to resign his post. Okay. Uh, he, he just looked at the data, said, he's going to break away from Rome. I can't follow him there. I need to break away. He loved Henry. And Henry loved him. Right. Uh, now, Henry accepted it, although he took it as a sign that Moore was not loyal to him. Okay. In 1533, Moore refused to attend the coronation of Anne Boleyn, the newest queen. Uh, and instead, he wrote a nice letter congratulating. He sent a card and a gift certificate for Spiegel's. Uh, the latter... Moore saw it as a good compromise. Henry did not, right? Henry took this personal. I am your king and I'm your friend. What the hey, right? Those were his exact words. What the hey? Okay, I'm not, it's not really, those were not his exact words. Uh, the king viewed his absence as an insult to the queen and that it was undercutting his authority. Um, so Henry had charges brought against Moore, uh, but Moore's own uh, integrity really was what protected him. In the first instance, he was accused of accepting bribes 
but there was no evidence. And everybody who knew more was like, yeah, sure, we believe you. Um, he was then accused of conspiracy against the king. And what's that about? Well, supposedly he had talked to a nun who prophesied against Henry and Anne. However, Moore, at the trial, produced a letter he wrote the nun telling her, stay out of politics, right? Strike two. On April 13th, Henry VIII decided to force the issue. He ordered Thomas More to take an oath acknowledging the legitimacy of Anne's position of queen, of Henry's self-granted annulment from Catherine, and of the superior position the king has over the pope in the church. Okay, So More offered a compromise. I'll accept your marriage to Anne or your annulment to Catherine. Or I'm sorry, I will accept your marriage to Anne, but I refuse to accept your annulment from the queen. He called her the queen. Uh, or you being head of the church. So they arrested him and put him in the tower. On July 1st, he was convicted by a court. And this court reeked of integrity because Anne Boleyn's dad, brother, and uncle were on it. Yeah. Oops. Moore had something in a very clever strategy. Remember, this guy's sharp and he's a lawyer, okay? He was like, I can't break a law if I don't talk. So he simply refused to speak. That meant that he didn't have to say, no, I won't take the oath or blah, blah, blah. But he didn't have a defense against treachery and several dubious witnesses. I love that. Uh, were able to contrive a story that he had spoken words against the king. Um, Moore was convicted in 15 minutes. Uh, the court sentenced him to be hanged, drawn, and quartered. Okay, so what is that? You say, well, what come, why do anything after hanged? Well, they didn't hang you till death, right? They would, like, hang you, and they wouldn't drop you, right? That's how you die, usually, if you get hung, right? They put you on a high place, wrap a noose, and then swoop out the floor, your neck stamps, right? When they do this... They simply raise you on a rope and let you choke and choke and choke and then bring you back down so you can catch your breath and just keep doing it again till the crowd gets bored. Right. This was entertainment. This was uh, and then drawn and quartered. Did you guys want to know about this? I don't know. Drawn is you could do it with horses or trees. It depended. Uh, usually horses were the way to go. You simply tie the four, your four main limbs, two arms, two legs, each to a horse who then just pulls you till everything pops out of socket and you just keep stretching them. And then, you know, you relax them and then you do it again and you just keep, they would do this for hours. And then quartered is just what it sounds like. They cut you into four pieces and then would hang the pieces in prominent places around the empire. Um, it was really a sweet, sweet, gentle, loving way to go. Much like just falling asleep. No? no. If you ever saw Braveheart, what you saw at the end, um, that's the idea, but it lasted hours and hours and hours. And they would like, also, if you weren't English, I think I'm saying this right. If you were a foreigner, they would add visceration. Do you know this one? Yeah. Oh, they would make a small incision in your belly and grab your intestine and just pull it out. 
And it's miles. It's like a slinky. Yeah, it's like a slinky. It's slinky, it's slinky, it's a fun, it's a wonderful toy. It's slinky, it's slinky, it's fun for a girl and a boy. I can't believe I remember that. Do you remember this? I think I'm saying it right. So, um, Henry was happy with the outcome, but not happy because he really liked Thomas more. They were quite the little dream team when everything was rolling. And, and he was kind of, and it, it would obviously angered him that even the threat of death didn't compel Thomas more to say, yeah, yeah, your marriage is fine. Go King, go King. Um, Henry was, uh, yeah. Anyway, he was all about his authority. So it was in the end. Okay, let's do this. But, as a final act of mercy, he said, look, forget the drawn quartering and hanging. Let's just knock his head off. Okay. Which, uh, again, I, I don't know if you guys find this interesting, but they always show in the movie, like, you know, a guy with an axe and Wah! No, it was a lot of chops. Right? Like, there were numerous stories back then of beheadings where it took, like, six or seven hits. Because it's not like they could make things sharp like they do today. This was blunt force trauma as a general rule it wasn't really and this is why you gotta remember this is crazy historical side note this is why there were so few revolutions against kings because here's what people believed their thing their final option was let's say i have an unjust king who's a terror and i rise up and kill him justly i still go to hell that was the teaching that's god's anointed and you killed him and so to mitigate their horror do you know about this that's why Dr. Uh, what is it? Something guillotine invented the guillotine because it was quick and merciful and nobody had figured out a way to do quick, merciful death at that point. Right. I mean, Romans had, but um, Romans have been gone a thousand years at this point. So anyway, as a final act of mercy, he commuted his sentence to decapitation okay? uh, on July 6th. 1535, uh, Thomas More ascended the scaffolding. Do you know about this, what he said? This is hilarious. Um, his executioners helped him up the scaffolding, right, because his hands and feet were tied. And he said, thank you for your help. I can get down by myself. Isn't that glorious? I mean, who? You know, on your way to death, it's like, yeah, I'll get down by myself. Don't worry, fellas. Uh, um his last words were, I die the king's good servant, but God's servant first. Uh, following his death, they found that he wore a hair shirt, right? It's a form of penance. Um, and his decapitated body was buried in the chapel of St. Peter in the Tower of London, in an, at the Tower of London, in an unmarked grave. His head was put on display in the city, uh, but his daughter, Margaret, uh, bribed someone to take it down. You gotta like that chick. Uh, you can find that skull at uh, the church in Canterbury, okay? Um, he's widely remembered as being a man of incredible integrity and is based, is considered a martyr. Uh, Pope Leo Thirteenth beatified him. He put a little makeup on. Uh, I'm just kidding. Guys, I'm doing this all day today. What is up? Uh, in 1886, canonized by Pius XI on May 19th of 1935. And his feast day is to die, as they say in England. He's the patron saint of adopted children, lawyers, civil servants, politicians. And you ready? Difficult marriages. <laughs>
it's kind of ironic, isn't it? And it's like, is it because of his difficult marriage to his second wife? Or is it because of Henry's? Yeah, I don't know. Things got rough for Catholics in England. They confiscated our churches. And one of them, they put a water slide in last year. Um, clergy were killed. Nuns were killed. Catholics were killed. All kinds of crazy stuff happened. It really fell apart. Uh, Henry was a charismatic, brilliant leader um, who just kind of ended up consumed by his own desires, in my opinion. Um, and uh, Charles V's stranglehold on the Pope uh, was obviously as big a factor as anything from Henry VIII. Um, so it's it's a little more complicated. Like when I was a kid, I was taught, well, Henry VIII couldn't get an annulment, so he left the church. It's not that simple. That's what Catholics today do. Um, it really, <laughs> it, at least that's what my fourth wife says. Uh, it really was a complicated political situation. Easy to explain. Uh, the Pope wasn't free. And um, the injustice of it ticked off Henry, and Henry wanted a male heir. And to have a male heir, he needed to have a legitimate marriage. To have a legitimate marriage, he needed an annulment. Wash, rinse, repeat. How many wives did he have? Like seven or eight or something like that? Yeah. So there we are. Uh, Thomas More um, and John Fisher. Why didn't I get into John Fisher? Just because honestly, I looked and I thought I got time for one of these guys. And I thought the most important thing I could do was give you a uber simplistic snapshot of what was going on in England. And keep in mind, the whole time this is going in England, Germany is breaking away from the church under Martin Luther, right? That this time, um, which is really fascinating uh, if you think about it. So in 1521 is when Luther was excommunicated by the Pope and Henry VIII defended the Pope against Luther. Uh, you could look at it simply that Luther had a religious dispute and Henry had a political dispute. I think that's fair to say. What you looking at, bro? Six wives. Six? Okay. How many did he have? Huh? Do you know? How many did he have? Uh, oh. Off with the head. Or killed, I guess. I don't know if he decapitated any of them. I don't know. Well, yeah, I know he decapitated one of them at least. But oh, we have a question. A privy counselor is a personal advisor to royalty. Oh, nice. So it doesn't have anything to do with the privy. They mean privy as a private. Yeah, I swear you may. Okay, has there ever been an effort to rejoin the Catholic Church? Yeah, individually, um, there are a significant number of Catholic clergy in our diocese. We have three guys who were Anglican priests who are now Roman Catholic. Um, and uh, Pope Benedict established the ordinariate, which is um, a beautiful rite within the Roman Church specifically for Anglican priests who want to become Catholic, as well as late Anglicans. Gosh, I, excuse my halting manner. I, it's not an area I'm super familiar with. Uh, but I know some places, entire congregations. That's what happened with one guy here. And our, or two of the guys in our diocese, his whole congregation became Roman. Right? That what you're finding, I think, I'm speaking super general, the Anglican church has taken a very hard left turn. Uh, and that has compelled some people to say, I'm out. I think that's fair to say. 
uh, any of my Anglican friends, if you can help me with this, seriously, that would be helpful. Someone says, initially, did the Church of England have valid sacraments? Valid but not licit? Correct. Absolutely correct. Did they have valid apostolic succession? Yes, not licit. Nicely done, whoever this is. What a, is this like the Greek Orthodox? When did they lose the valid sacraments? The Roman Church says they never did because they didn't change the matter or the form. Okay, um, so as far as the church um, is concerned, now get this, as far as the Roman Catholic Church is concerned, you can go to communion in an Orthodox Church. Now, the Orthodox say, no, you can't, so we shouldn't. Uh, to be clear, we need to be sensitive and respectful uh, of that wish on their part. Uh, Richard, oh, Richard, bro, he's been invaluable today. We teach kids the fate of the six wives. Nicely done. Okay, ready? Divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. Ha, huh. it was convenient for him to do it like that. Way to go, Henry. So that's the fate of the wives. Thank you, Richard. Uh, divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. Ha, huh. you know who didn't survive? Henry. So is Elizabeth the Elizabeth now, right? Is she Elizabeth, the Queen of England? Is that her name? Yes. Okay. Is she? I assume she's related to him in some way, right? Richard, can you help us out here? Like what I know, and this is where my history gaps come in. Like I can tell you, and you're going to laugh, but that Elizabeth now, if that's the Queen's name, right? She is directly biologically connected to Ragnar Lothbrook's brother Rollo right, or Roland the Walker, they called him, right, from the Viking invasions way back when. Um, yeah, crazy stuff. But I don't know if she's related to Henry VIII, I would assume. I don't know. Richard said, yep, she is. Oh, nice. Okay. And so, Richard, would she be like, not to be funny, direct descendant, like great, 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 great granddaughter? Is that, does he know? Or is it more shoestring or whatever they say over there? Sorry for all these questions, Richard. I just find this fascinating. I do. Um, but uh, so that's it we got while Richard's given us uh, his wisdom on here um, and uh, to be clear um, I try to be candid with you about what I know and don't know this is one where as you could tell I know some uh, but not much shoestring shoe shoestring okay so because uh, she's a joy right they like her mm. I think mm. yeah um, well, she's as old as Moses yeah she's 9,000 I think, yeah. Well, she has legitimate apostolic succession. Okay. So uh, that's what we got for today. Now, I'm excited about tomorrow because here's what we got. Let me scroll up. Okay. So I noticed, I don't know, about six months ago, this dude and dudette who are at the 8 a.m. mass every Sunday, okay? And I saw he had this really cool logo on his coat. And I found out uh, Caswell Customs. If you watch YouTube, this guy has, um, he, that's his channel, right? So he works on trucks and he does, and I, dad and I love this guy. So we conned him into coming on the show. So he'll be here to, in fact, do you, what is your YouTube channel? In the Blue, Blue Room. Room, in the Blue Room, mm -hmm. right? So let me tell you about two YouTube channels. One is for everyone in the blue room, okay? So if you go to YouTube, uh, that's Nisa's, and I, I really like it, I do. It's very, um, 
fun and heartfelt and helpful, inspiring. Um, we got to get you on here someday when we do an interview because your uh, Nisa's story, I don't mean this funny. It's one of the favorite I've ever heard. No. Just the... What you've gone through and the fact that you never seem to whine about it, uh, you know, but just, yeah, like Anissa's had a beautiful and challenging life and it's turned her into an extraordinary person. And if we got to get you on here on a Thursday sometime, no pressure. Am I putting pressure on you? No, we'll set look at calendars later. Okay. And then, uh, but this guy, if you enjoy trucks, cars, mechanical things, and fun, uh, I can tell you this cat is a church dude. He is. And uh, Dad and I enjoy his channel. Uh, Caswell Customs, C-A-S-W-E-L-L Customs is his YouTube channel. He'll be here tomorrow. And if you're thinking, well, I don't care about trucks, then you're going to hell. I'm just kidding. Yeah, not soon. Yes. Are they classic trucks, hot rod trucks? Uh, I've seen them work on Silverados. Like, yeah. uh, yep. Uh, and we're, in fact, Dad wants to put a new suspension on his 15. He's got that 2015. Yep. So we're going to talk to him about that. Why not? Get it tricked out. Yeah. Get Wouldn't that be later. funny? Oh, yeah. Dad wants a little bit of everything. He does snowmobiles. He's yeah. Like, oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, and I saw him. But yeah. Uh, what's the other things? The four wheelers. I mean, I, I think God just gave him a good mechanical brain and he really worked on it. You know what I mean? Like he, uh, yeah. And I, I love seeing him at mass and he's, he's got a lovely wife and they just, they, I don't know. There's a goodness about him. I think he'll pick up. So I've gone on and on. Sorry. Uh, thank you for tuning in so much. And, uh, don't forget tomorrow. Guess who will have Vincent on here. And then on Friday, we're going to do question and answer from a top secret location. Yeah. We found a nuclear bunker in Colorado that looks just like this place. It's crazy. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. Okay. So, uh, salad pray, huh? Right? Have I forgot anything? Okay. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus, thank you for Sir Thomas More. Thank you for the other guy. Um, for Bob. John. John Fisher. I can't believe that. I have to start over. Because I'm can. i sure there's a St. Bob, but he's like, why are you talking to me? It's not my day. Yeah, I'm going to start over. All right. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Jesus, thank you for St. John Fisher and St. Thomas More. Today, in a particular way, we thank you for Thomas More for his integrity his faithfulness and the fact that he loved his friend to the point of death, just like you did for us. Even as we were killing you, you loved us. And even as Thomas was laying down his life, he loved his king, but he loved you more. And so that made his love all the better. And we ask Lord that that become true of all of us in our relationships, that we love you first so that we can love each other best. We ask for your blessing on our Anglican brothers and sisters. And we ask, Lord, that you draw us all back together so that we can be one flock with one shepherd. But until that day, help us to love you and each other well.
Father, you know we have people we love very much and we worry about them. And, and you know the circumstances in our lives that cause us to fret. We give all of it to you, Lord, and we love you and we trust you. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Kung Fu is strong. I will see you beautiful people tomorrow. And until then, deuces. Is it over? No, it's never over.